Johan van Gaan is now Johan van Gone, or at least going, and he's going to leave Munster. He decided his Munster journey should end after five years, uh, despite the fact that he had a new contract, I think, offered to him, and is joining uh, Bath at the uh, just from the start of next season onwards. Um, he couldn't have exited more like, they drove a big truck of money up <laughs> <to> my door. <laughs> but Grant's been there for five years. He didn't win anything for Munster. I don't even understand why they're offering him a new contract. I, I'm the same. I don't know how much money they offered him. I, I imagine Bath is owned by a billionaire. And Craig Bruce. I wish I knew this. Like, There's 13 clubs in the English Premiership, and there's 13 clubs that are in the English Premiership company. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to presume there's no more relegation. Like, I'm going to presume like that whole charade is, you know, of London Welsh coming up. Surviving there for a season and then getting relegated again, like is is finished now. Oh, I think that's done. I think that's. I think all that got done two seasons ago by Richie in his transition between RFU and, and Premiership. So, Bruce Craig, who is super wealthy, must have given a massive amount of money to Johan van Gran compared to what he was going to get from Munster, and Munster probably felt that. I don't know how much they felt that they had to pay this guy. So I feel it's good business for Munster. Um, Van Gran hasn't been particularly impressive as a coach. Um, Munster are closer to Connacht than they are to Leinster because Andy Friend has done a really good job. I think at the end of this season, Ulster's trajectory has been steeper increasing than Munster's has. So will they take over as the number two province? So even if like Leinster don't win anything and Ulster win something this season, which could well happen, given like the four leagues in a row that Leinster won and the Heineken Cup that they won in 2018 within the last five seasons, you'd still go, well, like Leinster are the best team in, in Ireland. Like yeah, on that and weighted, also on the amount of internationals they have. And in the amount of internationals and on that weighted coefficient. So Munster who would traditionally be like a top, and I say traditionally, like in professional rugby, would traditionally be the top two province, and like at times have been the number one, um, aren't strong, like they're not strongly there at the moment. Arguably there, are they better than Ulster? Arguably. Um, and if you look at the standard of play that Ireland produced during the autumn time, and you look at the style of rugby that Ulster and Connacht and Leinster have produced, you go, Jesus, like this, this, this suits the psyche of the Irish rugby player and the fan, and it suits the the playing base that we have, which isn't full of six foot eight lumpy meaty behemoths, and that's the style of rugby that's at Africa play, and it's. You know, it's kind of they've been very unlucky with Snyman, but like Dialende, his Dialende yet again was really, really good for them uh, against Wasps, and like Klein is another guy who's been big for Munster. Like Munster have played a more South African game, and it, like it doesn't suit Irish rugby. Yeah, well, his answer. Uh, I'm I'm going to say one thing, which is like a bit a bit snide, but it is what it is. Like Van Grand's answer was like assign another South African second row, like. Was Klein maybe was there when he got but like a slime and then Jason Jenkins, Jason Jenkins. Grobler, yeah, you know that's like a lot of a lot of like six foot eight big set Africans. Um, 
and he has been good at signing. Like uh, I read a number of posts that said, like look at the look at the monster team he inherited, and look at the monster team that he is going to leave behind him. Um, for the most part, the changes are players that he has signed. Mike Haley come from Sale, Chris Farrell come from Ulster. Again, these players might have been signed by Erasmus, but Erasmus was gone within two months of his second season after saying he wasn't going to go. He was gone. Um, Joey Carberry arrived from Leinster. Ty Byrne arrived from uh, from Clinetley. So there's a few players, like there's two players. I'd look at that Van Grand side, you know, the side that sort of got knocked out, didn't sort of, the side that lost the the, the final there last year against Leinster. It was like Craig Casey was involved in it on the bench and, and Coombs was there. And they're the two guys that he has brought in to the starting, the match day 23 from the Munster Academy in his time as a coach, which is four and a half years. And that to me is garbage. Like it's really slow. Like he's, he's starting Shane with... Shane Daly part of that? No, Shane wasn't in the, in the mix. Was no, okay. you know it was Conway, Earls. Like it's the, yeah, it's the team. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it's um, it's like he's been good at he's been good at contracting players. Like he's got Dialende and he's got Simon. Simon is just unfortunate. Um, he got Ty Byrne back into. He's Ireland. like a better version of Matt O'Connor. Yeah, he's like he's good at signing players, but like Munster have you know quite a big budget, and they've been allowed to sign a lot of players by. Uh, I forgot Arno Botha played for Munster, like a couple of seasons ago. Which I just didn't remember that, you know, like signing South African back rows for Munster, and like obviously CJ Stander worked out amazingly well, but like it's not a position where Munster need to go and and sign South Africans, um, or players from from any like Munster, it's like they, they they do have back rows. So I feel that I feel that he has been a very conservative and cautious selector of youth and certain things which happen by accident, like. Bunch of nippers playing against wasps, like that's nothing and him, to do with and him not coaching the team for two weeks. Yeah, they turn in, and they turn in a really good display. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, so that, yeah. that's like Ian Costello deserves huge credit for that. And then on the other hand, I think Van Gran seems to be a, a very professional guy. Like I don't think he's like a, a a sloppy coach or anything like that. But I think that he seems like a nice man. He yeah. was very positive when he came in. He was big into handshakes. He was very positive in all his press conferences and his ability to sign guys who had played for him in South Africa reflects very well. Yeah, I think he's probably a good boss and a good, and a good employee that he built up. But to my mind, like Monster want to sign Mike Prendergast as their next head coach or Paulie, if Paulie wants to go into day to day from Ireland. But I don't know why if you were Paulie, you'd step down from doing like the Irish forwards gig, which is basically like a few weeks a year working with the best players in the country to taking on the emotional stress of managing Munster and living in Limerick. Like, why yeah. would you do it to yourself? But like, because to my mind, again, like, I don't know, Paulie's a professional coach. Like, he's, he wasn't coaching anybody before doing the Irish gig. So I don't know, whereas Mike, Mike Prendergast is a dyed-in-the-wool professional coach. Like, yeah. he'll go from, he'll stay in wrestling for a number of years and he'll go somewhere else in the top 14 like he's got a track record in the top 14. He's got, or he'll get an international gig coaching attack or defense. Sorry, coaching attack. Like, or to get a head coach gig. So, like Mike Prendergast, it, uh, I'd be disappointed if he doesn't get it. The two, two positions to replace those as well because Larkham's gone. Larkham's gone as well. But I'd be disappointed if Prendergast doesn't get the head yeah. top job. 
There's no uh, no calls for Raj just yet. Raj won't go. Raj is yeah. re-signed with La Rochelle. He's only doing his first season as as head coach. I think he's another two on that contract. He's another yeah. He's another two in that contract again. Like we've talked about this, but to my mind, with Raj, Raj has I can't even remember how many kids. He's got four or five kids who are at a school going age, and there are half a dozen professional coaching jobs where he li- around where he lives. And he's in the top fourteen, which, like, he's in the merry-go-round now. Like, he's 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 so he's got a he's got a profile from doing racing, and then got a profile from doing La Rochelle, and, and both of them getting better. This is just in France, mm. and now he's the head man in La Rochelle, so he's going to be on good money there. And he like he can go to Bordeaux, and he can go to wherever like around that neck of the woods. Why would he leave? Like, why would he leave France, unless it's to get an international job? At the age his kids are. They can, he can get them all educated, living in France. He doesn't have to move. Uh, I, I just cannot see why he would leave France unless to get an international And I job. think it's a tough job, that monster job. And I don't say this lightly, but like it was a very tough job for Anthony Foley, who was trying to do the same sort of thing that uh, the, whoever comes in after Van Graan is going to do. Because there are still players, like there's some young players, like Munster have a sort of good crop born 1997, so under 20s in 2017. Finn and Witchley is one of them, Calvin Nash, Coombs. Um, but like they're not mainstays of the team yet. And there's people who are going to have to be retired. People in their uh, early, coming into mid-30s now. And the two tight heads, Archer and Ryan, Kilcoyne, um, Peter Mandy, Connor Murray, Earlsey. Like those lads. Steve Ozeebs, most people. Steve's 30, at 31, will be 32 this season. Yeah, okay. Um, so that that's a lot of people to turn over, uh, and like a lot of those guys, like Murray, Earls, O'Mahony, Zebo have been lines. And if you're looking at the Munster team now, you're going, well, where's where are Munster's next lines? Who are they? You know, it's very early to say that. Like, who were they in the last tour? Ty Byrne, Connor Murray. You know, I, d- I don't know if there was if there was anybody else. Like they're not like Ty Byrne is will probably be around for another while, but Connor's Connor's not first choice for Ireland anymore. And and like that's a that's a tough job. It would be an especially tough job, I think, for for Raj to come in, guys he's played with, and say, Listen, we're moving you on and then they're going, Well, the guys that are replacing me aren't they're not even Irish internationals. I've got eighty caps, I've got ninety caps. I've got a hundred caps. You know, tough gig. But it, it, like, it's a great opportunity for somebody at the same stage. Like, it's yeah, Munster are a big, well-resourced club. So, do, do you going back to Van Grand? Do you, um, I don't. I don't think he's been particularly good for Munster. No, he's, well, he's, they've gone nowhere. Like, they've gone nowhere. What Munster? have needed to do for, you know, for practically Van Graan's entire situation is like, one thing he did do was he he trimmed their squad down. But then in the other hand, like he bought in players who he didn't need. Like, or he changed players. When I say he bought in players he didn't need, like I don't know if he needs Zebo. I don't know if he needs uh, Gallagher that he brought in, in the outside backs. There's certain things which amaze me that he continues to do like, like I look at Shane Daly just being being played in the wing, and neither as a centre or as a fullback. I just don't see him having a future as a winger. Yeah, not a 
when I was a CMEB, would be a very good 13 or a very good 15. I, I look at, like, I just don't don't know what he sees in Dan Goggin, who I just, like, like he's, he's been a sort of a feature of of Van Grand section. Remember we, last year, he picked him as, like, his one outside back on the on the subs bench. Like, he went to, a, like, a six plus two, and, like, it was a scrum half in Dan Goggin. You're going, it's fucking calamitous selection. So there's certain things about it. I just go, I don't understand why you're doing this. I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand. I felt that in certain areas where he's, he, he would continue to rely on Archer and Kilcoin, sorry, Archer and, and, and Ryan at Tighthead, just like to such a heavy extent, you know, with like Knox and Salanoa are there or thereabouts. And you're going, these players need to actually play. Thomas O'Hearn needs to play. Thomas O'Hearn. Um, those guys, they just need to play. I think you can't play Kendall enough at the moment. Like, I don't see the value in, in Chris Cluter. As, as, you know, he can be an effective player in, in the URC. It's like, I'll tell you another thing. This is something which has been swimming around my head. Munster have this habit at schools level and at club level of putting their best back row at number eight, regardless of what size he's going to be, whether he's going to be six foot tall or... Six foot two is so many of them are. It's like Munster, like Van Grant hasn't figured out a way of picking all these number eights. So Jack O'Sullivan, Jack O'Donoghue, Hodnett, Hodnett, Alex Kendallin, you know, like who are like four, six, two, 15 and a half stone number eights when he gets them. And like he hasn't figured out a way of like, this is what I'm going to get from my academy. Is like, I'm going to get small, probably quick number eights. And like, what am I going to do? Change them all to fucking player, put them all in different back row positions because I don't know how to play them in a number eight. Like, he doesn't, he can't go, like Rob Baxter, he goes, oh, I've got a small, quick number eight who's really good. I need a really big number six. Or I need to play three second rows. It's like, this is the player you're getting as number eights. Jack O'Sullivan was probably the best number eight. I know it was Keenan Doris himself. Like, O'Sullivan had a great stint. Yeah, O'Sullivan was a super under 20. And then Hodden came along as a super, super under 20. Play number eight. Kendall. And then Kendall in the season played number yeah. eight. And you go, like, O'Kiki will probably end up playing number eight for yeah. the Irish under 20s. Yeah, oh, like I, I completely, like if you're going, this is what my production line is, you yeah. go, this is the style of rugby we're going to play. Like we're going to play with a back row of three guys who are six foot two, who are all, like to all intents and purposes the same. Yeah. But I'm going to ask them to do certain things yeah. because this is how we're going to set up our team. This is, where this, my, is, this is what my players are like. These are my three best players. Yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna, like this is how I'm going to do it rather than kind of going, oh, like he doesn't fit the prototype of guys off the high belt. Yeah. He's not six or five. You know, it's just gonna fucking play him. Like these are your players. These are your best players that you're getting. Like so many of them are behind where they should be. You know, <clears> they're <throat> trying to be blindsides and then not even getting picked that much. So there's certain aspects like that. Like also his distrust of footballers in centre. Like it's like that. Anyway, I've said enough. I've gone too far, if anything. Uh, so all four provinces picked up fairly impressive victories in different manners over the weekend. But uh, you had mentioned to me uh, that you thought Leinster were a bit off. Do you think it was just the white shorts? I don't know whether it's the the oversized expectations now or whether there is something wrong. Whenever I see a Leinster team with Ross Maloney and that, you know, you put a name on something... Um, I always kind of worry a bit from a Leinster perspective that it used to be a stage that, oh, you could pick like Dev and 
James Ryan, or he could pick Scott Fardy and James Ryan, or Scott Fardy and Toner, and you can go right like this is this is their A choice. So like you know, there's three different combos there, and like Ross Maloney isn't isn't one of them. So like when I see Ross Maloney and Ryan Baird, I go. Jesus, like it's a bit underpowered. So then when you see them being pushed around in the scrum at the end of the match, you sort of think to yourself, shit, like, I mean, are, are Leinster missing a beat here? Like, are they, is, is James Ryan's injury, concussion, a bigger deal for everybody? Like Leinster in the short term, James Ryan in the longer term. Like, I, I wouldn't want to see Ryan brought back. Like, if, if James Ryan doesn't have to play for the rest of the season, I would say well and good for James Ryan. Like, and he, he shouldn't be expected to come back because, like, Leinster are short second rows. So I think that's a big issue. At the same stage, Leinster hammered Connacht and they just got beaten by Ulster. So, like, their standards are very high and it's, like, if Leinster aren't wiping the floor, putting 40 points between themselves and everybody else, you kind of go, oh, it's, like, is, what's wrong with Leinster? But the second row is the second row is weak compared to the rest of the team. Mm, I was thinking that because Ross Maloney's played really well this season. Uh, he's been really consistent. He's been consistently selected. And then you go into and I don't think any more. Well, certainly Bath aren't a, a step up on any URC side. And I think the URC in general that gap between Europe and League Cup and League has closed a lot. Uh, and I expected Ross to show up better than he did. I thought Ryan Baird was definitely the better of the two Leinster second rows um, in pretty much, you know, all aspects of the game. And like Ryan Baird is Ireland's number four second row. Yeah, and is and is twenty two. And yeah, and is an, he's a great athlete. So like it's not it's not to damn him. It's no, it's just like he's not Scott Fardy and he's not James. Ryan. He's not James Ryan is the big thing. Like, Devin, Tol- Devin Toner is old. I was watching Devin in the warm up. I've never been to a warm up of a rugby match in seven, eight, 18 years. <laughs> I come in at the end of the anthem. You didn't even go to your own warm ups. <laughs> ah, fuck that. Play tip. Did a bit of stretching, and that's that. And uh, I was just there going, Jesus, Devin's old. Yeah, well, I just compared him to like the one, two, three. So, like, compared him to Porter. Well, that's what I was thinking, you know, on the way here. I was thinking, like, Ross Maloney and Bairdo compared to Porter, Kelleher and, and Furlong, you're going, oh, wow, like that one, two, three is really outstanding. And like the four and five are going, oh, that's that's like the, the soft spot in the pack. And it's funny because I think James Ryan has gone through this bit of a, um, not so much as like a sophomore slump, which sort of happened last year, but like it's like people going, oh, James Ryan's overrated. It's just a backlash. Um, it's got serious issues with, with concussion. Yeah. It's it, like it's... That's it. Yeah, and um, but uh, like Lancer really miss him. Uh, but I'm not saying like that's a good reason to bring him back if he's uh, if it's a it's a wiser thing for him to sit out for a longer period. And and who knows from where we are? Yeah, we're not like the I'm bloke no. keeps on picking up concussions. And Richie McCall was better served by just taking a big long break from it. Yeah, and I'm no I'm no head doctor. Um, so. I thought that, uh, like, I was at that game and, you know, the first half hour was really good. Leinster were running at a point a minute. And was, I said to somebody, it was like watching, like, w- like watching being a fan of the other team playing Ireland in a quarterfinal. <laughs> the game was over after 24 minutes, <laughs> you know. But we didn't score 90. Um, and so in that regard, Leinster actually played some really quite smart rugby Producing an incredible amount of, of really quick rock ball, had some good offloads. And like when you're looking at the, I think the point you had is at like, I think it was 31 6 after 30 minutes. So like 
if the, if the game had been if the game had been waved off, then if if Stuart Oak were thrown in the towel, like we would be going, Leinster out there, you know, uh, awesome best or like when we played Wasps in the first game of the 2018, 2019, yeah, Heineken Cup in the RDS, and like Jesus, that was the best Leinster performance I've ever seen. I think we won fifty seven three or fifty two three or something like that. But the game went on longer, and like Leinster basically just got sloppier and sloppier, and. And you know, do certain things caved in. So by the end, when, you, when I left the scene, I was going, Jesus, that was a very ropey performance. Then went back and looked at it on the tape and go, apart from the first half hour, where like the game was nominally up for grabs and then sort of closed it off so quickly. So, um, but there, like I didn't, I thought it was probably overall the least impressive of the quarter final performances of, of, of the four provinces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, it's a huge win for Ulster up in, or sorry, over in Claremont. I thought that I kind of had a a sneaky feeling that they might win. But then I thought about it logically and I went, nah, they'll get close, they'll flatter to deceive and they'll lose. So it's an enormous win for them. We were chatting about uh, the signings that Van Gran has made in signing uh, Springbok number eight, or sorry, South African number eights. Well, Ulster signed a Springbok number eight for Mullen for, and I'm not sure how badly he was affected by having COVID. And he's 35 years of old. The man is a beast. He is just a brilliant, brilliant rugby player. He was man of the match in the World Cup final just over two years ago, and. That wasn't a flash in the pan. He played against Kieran Reid for most of his career and it was very much picking between the two of them. Two very different number eights. He's an immense rugby player. Um, and Ulster have done a very good piece of business. And then James Hume played really well and I guess we, we come back talking to him or about him. I thought, I thought Connacht would win and I thought Munster would win. Um... It, it's hard to know what to make of the of the Premiership teams. Like it, The Premiership doesn't seem to be a particularly strong league, and maybe it's that some of the best clubs or some of the, the, the most informed clubs this season are in the Challenge Cup. But Leicester are very strong. Like Leicester are unbeaten in that league, um, and they won away, and Harlequins won away in cast, which was quite impressive. I think Leicester won in Bordeaux, was, it? was that the result? Yeah, yeah so... Very good performance by by Munster. I thought that the the young guys got a lot of the publicity, which is understandable. I thought the experienced guys, particularly Omani, Dialende, and Tyg Byrne, were uh, superb. I thought they were the, they were class. Like they were the difference between, and they were the guys who like played in the World Cup final, played for the Lions, captained the Lions. Like the really really good players, they stood up and made a huge difference. And you know, some of the young guys did show well, but I thought it was the class acts who were the class acts. And I was impressed, uh, really impressed with Connacht, um, who took on Stad. Like Stad, are, Stad aren't the team that they were, you know. But you're talking about the, who they, aren't the team that they were maybe twelve or thirteen years ago. They haven't been a, they haven't been a big time contender in the, in the top fourteen for a number of years. But I thought that Connacht really took them apart at the end of the game. Like they banged in tries four, five, and six in like the last twelve minutes, I think, and really stretched the score out. Not that I think points difference is going to be a huge um, 
player in this particular edition of the tournament. But it was just good to see them putting away a team, putting away a French team at home. Um, halfbacks are excellent. Cartier is especially some of his goal kicking in pretty pretty typical uh, conditions at the sports ground. Um, like, but he, he strikes the ball beautifully well. You know, he hits hits it with a nice draw and like. When you're playing with a draw and the wind is coming in off the other side, it's just enough to keep it inside the posts. Really nice to see. I thought overall, like, they actually could have, they actually, at about 55 minutes, I was thinking, oh, they might even fucking let this slip. They looked less ruthless than they showed themselves to be in the end. I think that was the thing that that impressed me most was that they were able, after that 55 point, I was there going, Stad are begging to be put away here. Like, and Connacht was just like, Angel had one knock on and after he came off as, as a that tight head I was like oh fucking Adrian like how did you how did you let that slip but uh, then they banged in those three late tries and and looked very good and really put them to the sword I thought the back row was good Masterson was good and he came off the bench and um, and you know I liked yeah I thought like I don't know how far they can go in the team if we saw Last year, Leinster coming up against like a La Rochelle and just getting, you know, out-muscled. That could happen very easily to Connacht. By, um, not like they're going over to play Leicester next and they'll have Aki back and Aki's in great form. But like, Leicester are top in the league at the moment and I think st- still unbeaten because they went down and knocked over Bordeaux in uh, Chaban Delmas and there are... They're a big physical team who can out-physical. They have out-physical to everyone in England, and they'll out-physical um, Connacht. So if Connacht can play around them, they'll be an enormous scalp. Now, just to go back to one of the players uh, you mentioned, uh, James Hume had a particularly impressive game against uh, Claremont, but also an impressive game uh, against Leinster a couple of weeks previously. And he's someone who didn't actually end up featuring for Ireland. Um, and this is just kind of hints back at something you were saying before we were talking about uh, daily at Connacht and the not getting the uh, whatever cap against the States or cap against Japan or whatever it was. Yeah, there, there, there's, um, there's an odd sort of cuddly factor about Andy Farrell that he... He comes on in his interviews and he asks all these really short questions of the interviewer himself, the world at large, and um, doesn't seem to get flustered, doesn't really seem to get overly stressed, deals with the media very well. Um, and it kind of belies, like uh, I guess, a ruthlessness um, or a lack of sentimentality. So I would have thought that with Daly, the, the, the obvious thing to do is pick him and then he used the, the next cab and the rank, which I think we, we're going to use forevermore. Um, and that idea of, oh, you know, like how do you know what these guys are like without exposure? And it's like much better, it seems. So I thought that Kieran Frawley and James Hume were particularly good in the Leinster-Ulster clash. And I thought Hume's body language was, was really telling. So when he scored his try... He got up and he made a number of pantomime shrugs to everybody, as in not re- not accepting the fact that people cannot go to pantomimes anymore. He called that whole game <laughs> into question, and then made a point of of referring to it of not getting picked in his interview. So you sort of go, well, that's stung, and you go, and it worked. 
So James Hume is now playing his best rugby because he didn't get picked by Andy Farrell. And Kieran Frawley is playing his best rugby on the back of not getting picked by Andy Farrell. So I'm sort of going, Jesus, like, Andy Farrell not only turns out as a really good selector in terms of moving Andrew Porter over and making a call on Ronan Kelleher when Herring hadn't done anything wrong, mm. etc. And et JGP. And JGP. And James Lowe back into the team. And James Lowe back into the team. He's also a really good non-selector, if such a thing can be. Um, in terms of bringing guys into the squad, giving them a taste and going, you're not there yet, show me. And who knows? Like if, if Hume keeps playing like he is and goes back into camp, he, he you'd imagine he'll get picked in the Six Nations because yeah. he's playing really well. And at the same stage, the other man who's playing really well, who Larrikin might, couldn't seem to oh. give two toss, is... Everyone's favourite, Mac the Knife, Mac Hansen. I went to see the Leinster Connacht match, and it was like Gagan. I keep on, I keep on like comparing people to Gagan and playing the wings. I think it was like Balakun compared to Gagan, but like Mac Hansen is like that. I mean, Jesus, if you saw Balakun and Mac Hansen play on the wing for Ireland, like what an excitement fest! Every time Mac Hansen gets the ball, he beats somebody, and you don't know what he's going to do next, and it's invariably pretty good. Like that's he, all we talked about after that game. All, the, all we talked about during the game was yeah. like just give the ball to Mac Hansen. Ah, uh, Dan Sheehan's sidestep as well. Dan Oh, Dan Sheehan's side side of Mark Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like a guy who was in the Irish squad and he just seemed like happy to be there. Um, but he seems happy to be wherever he is. Um, but a great pickup by Andy Friend, I would think. Um, but it's also like the, the fact that he was brought into the squad so early by Andy Farr. I thought that was curious. But like maybe Farrell just has the golden touch as a selector. And one man who is going to prove his selectorial ability is, to, to date, Ireland's best ever coach and not Ireland's best ever selector, Joe Schmidt, who is chosen as a selector of the All Blacks in what struck me as a kind of an incongruous uh, appointment. Um, Why do you think so? Because he's a brilliant coach, he's not a particularly good selector. And he's 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 doing the Auckland Blues, I think, with the guy who used to play, Leon MacDonald. Leon, is Leon MacDonald, yeah. Gervin McDempsey. Um and like how how can you how can you turn that role down? Oh, I think um, that selector's role for the All Blacks is the ultimate. Like it is the ultimate accolade. If you're like if you're a Kiwi rugby man to be involved in the All Blacks, yeah. and in like a pretty much a stress free role, part timer. Like a, we just a, we just want you to help us select a team. Like a like you're the the job that every red blooded Kiwi <laughs> yeah. Kiwi male wants to do, with like no stress attached. Yeah. Like Foster's going to get all the kick in here. It's like being president of Ireland. Yeah. You know, it's so like you get like loads of buns, loads and loads of fucking pate. Right, yeah. you don't actually have to do any legislation-wise, and you get to like, you know, make a good. Uh, you just get to make call, make calls on the All Blacks, like. So like, there's no way Joe Schmidt is, is turning it down. Um, I just thought, what selection of all these, of all his gifts? Yeah, this is the one you're choosing. But fair, great for Joe. Uh, can I just ask uh, more general questions? Like, what is it? A committee? Is it like? Is it is it one external person who helps foster? Who well, he's the it's hand a, of foster. 
it's, like, it's not necessarily that he's external. Like he's involved in it. He's not just like parachuted in. Like you have to stay, you know, four kilometers away from training. <laughs> you can only judge based on international matches. It's like he's just another voice in there. He's another voice to help them go. This is somebody whose opinion we respect. I like, I really like the idea of having a selector. In fact, I love it. Love it. You know, so they'll have like... It just always seems to me that something that like gets criticised in other sports and then doesn't really exist. Like there used to be selection, you know, selectors for soccer teams and then it was all like, yeah. put the power in the manager. And then whenever they talk about like the selectors for various cricket teams, it seems like they just get no end of guff. Oh, that's, well, that's because it's one of the reasons like people love to complain about whoever's in power. It's the nature, it's the nature of being somebody's boss. Like, you have to realize if you're somebody's boss, like, they're giving out about you behind your back. And they're going, that's just fucking it. That's just deal with it. Like, if you're a sports people's boss, they're not waiting until your back is turned to give out about you. Like, everyone's giving out about the NZRFU or the IRFU. That's just it. You can't, you can't take it too much to heart. Like, you know, most of it is going to be just like just people complaining because they're unhappy about something. Maybe it is they're unhappy with what you're doing. Maybe it's they're unhappy with other things. It's like they're generally unhappy. Uh, but sorry, so like this idea of a selector, an external selector. I remember they got, it was Grant Fox that was doing it. And I thought like, does anybody have more respect in his in rugby than Grant Fox? Obviously Richie McCaw does. But like Grant Fox is like this great old, like one try in his international career. <laughs> 12.6 points per game on the other hand. Just, he was such a, oh, I thought like, what a great idea, bringing Grant Fox. It was like, imagine if Cheka brought in Michael Liner, this opposite personality to him. You know, a back to Cheka's forwards, an international to Cheka's non-international, calm presence to Cheka's. And you're going, imagine those two people sitting down to pick a team. You're going, like, that would have been so much richer. Like the problem can always be like surrounding yourself with people who are too like you. Like in like we're finding out in sort of world affairs, like two people like choosing people who they like to listen to and not listening to another side of the story. So I don't know what what Ian Foster, he his personality is not as clear cut as Graham Henry or Steve Hansen's became because they're in the job so long and they were so public. You know, they became so public. So I just don't know what Foster's like. He's, I don't think he has the magnetic personalities that either of those two people. Like I, I just think Steve Hansen is just uh, the ultimate coach almost. Um, I think Joe would have been a great fit alongside Steve Hansen. It's funny, I was going to say about um, uh, Hansen and Hansen and Henry strike me as really, really Kiwi Guys, and like, I wouldn't have said like personality would be the first thing, but obviously there is a lot mm. of personality there. But the main thing that strikes me about those two guys is that they had proper jobs outside yeah. of rugby. Like Henry was a, a, a principal of a big school in the capital city, and Hanson was a copper. Yeah, like they, so they weren't always rugby coaches all the way up. Whereas like Dave Rennie used to own boozers. Whereas, but Van Gran is, and the, I think it was Owen Doyle wrote about this. And there's a lot of Owen Doyle's articles that I kind of go like, who commissioned this guy to write? <laughs> like, who's the audience? Even I, who read a lot of rugby articles, choose to ignore these on a like more than a, a fortnightly basis. And yet, occasionally, 
And he was saying that, um, I think Didier Mene is in charge of French refs. And he, like the French encourage their refs um, to do proper jobs rather than just become professional referees because mm. it makes them more empathetic. Yeah. And you're kind of going, the French over the last decade have had the best refs. Definitely. Not unanimously, but like across the board, France has had the best refs. <laughs> like French refs used to be random. Like for, for a decade before that, you're sort of going, ooh, it's a French ref. Like this... <laughs> this yeah, who knows, what, away, who knows what French ref will turn up yeah speak so yeah anyway a ringing endorsement of Owen Doyle's bizarre commentary <laughs> on how polite people should be to other people in refereeing so, I don't know it's, it's nice old man <laughs> it's strange that it's a weekly column <laughs> uh, yep yeah. okay let's leave it there good evening good evening good evening <laughs>